You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. Why is it that in church art, Adam and Eve are so often depicted as white? Does everyone, does each individual have a guardian angel? Those are a couple of the questions that kids ask. They want honest answers, and we're here to give them. It's part 10 of our series, Kids Have Questions. Pastor Jonathan Connor joins us. He is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Jonathan, welcome back to Issues Etc. Thanks, Todd. Happy to be here. Turning to science and faith, the questions are, does science and Christianity cross? Like, is there science involved in making of people and the earth, etc.? Yeah, I, I love when kids ask these questions because they're really struggling with how to get these words out. And I also know that in the background for a lot of these kids, because they come and tell me this, they have an experience in the schools oftentimes where they have a teacher who is, well, as I'm going to mention in my answer, doing a bait and switch with the word science. And it's the kids haven't quite caught it yet, so they're confused. So my answer is going to focus in on the bait and switch that often happens with the word science. Then I'll expand upon it. This is going to take me a few minutes to get through. And really, Todd, I think I could spend a six-week series just on this topic, because this is an area of great passion of mine. I've read dozens and dozens of books on this because I get these questions all the time from kids and from adults. And I think if anybody's paying attention, this is certainly a dogma of our culture, how strongly and forcefully this Darwinian evolution idea is pushed upon us in spite of the great evidence against it. So I think this is an area that we need to have good answers to. There are some wonderful resources. I'll make reference to a couple of them in a minute. But just for those of us on the front end, before I get to the answer, there's a great video series put out by the Discovery Institute called Science Uprising. And you can just Google Science Uprising. And they also have their long story short series. These are very much science-based, but they take on the assumptions of materialism and they present the case for design and fine-tuning. And really, the Science Uprising one, very much kind of an edgy, punchy sort of series. And long story short, deep science, I mean, there's some pretty impressive science stuff referenced, but it's more whimsical and fun. And, you know, you can find yourself, even my seven-year-old who doesn't understand a lot of the words, he finds himself laughing along because they do such a good job in that long story short series. So I'd point people to those two series as excellent resources, and I'll have more to reference in a minute. So here's the answer to the child. This is such a great question. Did you know that most of the people responsible for the scientific revolution were Christian? Christianity loves science. I just finished reading a 400-page book all on the amazing intercoherent systems of the human body and how exquisitely designed they have been by God. And the book's title is Your Designed Body by Steve Lofman and Howard Glicksman. In fact, I go on, Christianity greatly helps science because it teaches us to see design in living organisms and to understand that each constituent part and system within that living organism has been lovingly designed for a purpose by God. 
The problem is that evolutionists often pull a bait and switch with the word science. They like to talk about all the amazing advancements science has afforded us, and they're right, but then they turn to origins science, so how we got here, and they claim that God isn't allowed. So they define science as only involving natural, that is, no supernatural, so no God allowed, and they say science is only natural events, can only reference natural events. So because they say that science can only consider natural causes, and because God is a supernatural cause, they rule him out before they begin doing their science. And then, surprise, they conclude that God has nothing to do with how we got here. But they haven't made that conclusion on the basis of the evidence, but upon the basis of their starting assumptions. So if we regard science as a tool given by God to learn about how he did what he did, and if we're willing to follow the evidence wherever it leads, then we will arrive right where the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created. The evidence will point us to the reality and necessity of a creator. And the Bible tells us who that creator is, Jesus. Okay, now, let me expand upon this because I want to really zero in on this bait and switch that's happening. And for listeners, this is so important. If you can catch this, this will help you so much, not only for yourself, but in answering these questions that your kids are going to ask. So we have to pay attention to the bait and switch. But I'm going to share a few quotes so you're not just taking my word for it. I'm going to start with a quote several years ago that Bill Nye, the science guy, gave. Now watch what happens. See if you can catch the bait and switch in his words. So he says, science is the key to our future. And if you don't believe in science, then you're holding everybody back. And it's fine if you as an adult want to run around pretending or claiming that you don't believe in evolution. But if we educate a generation of people who don't believe in science, that's a recipe for disaster. We talk about the internet. That comes from science. Weather forecasting. That comes from science. The main idea in all of biology is evolution. To not teach it to our young people is wrong. Okay, so that's where Bill Nye stops. Now, did you catch the bait and switch? He equated science with evolution. Then he spoke about science as the internet and weather forecasting and so forth. So he's saying, if you don't believe in science, which he now is equating with evolution, somehow you're denying that science gave us the internet or weather forecasting. Do you see what he did though? He's playing fast and loose with definitions to demonize anyone who objects to Darwinian evolution. Now, I want to be kind here, but that's either embarrassingly naive or it's devilishly sinister. It's one of those two. To read a response, John Lennox, and if you haven't looked up John Lennox, he's just such a, a great speaker, just a kind-hearted man, philosopher of science and a Christian apologist at University of Oxford, a professor of mathematics there. He has multiple books. I'm going to quote from his book, Has Science Buried God? He gets to the heart of the matter. Here's what he says. The real conflict is between two diametrically opposed worldviews, naturalism and theism. Now, second quote here from Philip Johnson, who is now dead, but he is often considered the father of intelligent design. Here's what he says. Science has become identified with the philosophy known as materialism or scientific naturalism. 
This philosophy insists that nature is all there is, or at least the only thing about which we can have any knowledge. It follows that nature had to do its own creating and that the means of creation must not have included any role for God. So back to Lennox. He says, instead of begging the question and defining science to be essentially applied naturalism and therefore metaphysically a priori, suppose we understand it to be investigation of and theorizing about the natural order so that we give weight to what is surely of essence of true science, that is, a willingness to follow empirical evidence wherever it leads. So let me give an example, maybe just one that'd be easy for people to identify with here. If you walk into your living room and you discover this big black box sitting in the middle of the room, what sort of questions might you be tempted to ask? Well, you might ask, how did this get here? Or who or what put it here? So here's what you need to do. Think of the universe as a big black box. And here's our question. How did it get here? Who or what put it here? Philosophers like to use the phrase in a question this way. Why is there something rather than nothing? So that's just a fancy way of asking, why is there a box here? So naturalists insist that we have, now this is key, okay? They insist that to explain the box, that you can only consider things that are inside the box. So to explain the origin of the box, how the box got there, you are only allowed to consider things inside the box. So an intelligent, conscious, personal being is ruled out from the get-go. Before you do anything else, step number one, rule out God. And if you think I'm making it up, let me just quote a famous quote from Richard Lewontin. He's a famous evolutionary biologist at Harvard, smart man. But I want you to hear what he says. He basically lets the cat out of the bag here, tells us what's going on. He says, we take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute. And here's the kicker now. Listen, he says, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. His quote ends there. But friends, if you're hearing that, think about this. That from my perspective, that's incredibly close-minded. I mean, Christianity says, let's follow the evidence wherever it leads. And here you have this Darwinian evolutionist says, absolutely not. We refuse to consider some evidence. But this is reaching your conclusion before you've even considered the evidence. So we talked about this in one of our previous interviews, Todd. We talked about the power of abductive reasoning. I think uh, Greg Kokel even made reference, he didn't use the phrase abductive reasoning, but he basically said the same thing, that if you use your reason, you're going to end up with the conclusion that we have a powerful, eternal, immaterial, intelligent, conscious, personal, moral mind behind this. And 
What essentially happens then is that science and our reason brings us to the very first pages of the Bible where the Bible basically says, well, you've arrived here. Would you like me to introduce you to the God the evidence has brought you to? So I want to close with one last quote, and this basically wraps it up. This is from physicist and cosmologist, astronomer, Robert Jastrow. He famously put it this way. He died back in 2008, but a famous quote. He says this, For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountain of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak as he pulls himself over the final rock. He is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest for part 10 of our series, Kids Have Questions. Issues Etc. regular guests Corey Moss, Tom Egger, Greg Lockwood, and Roy Askins have all written columns in the October edition of the Lutheran Witness magazine. The theme is Difficult Teachings of Scripture. You can receive an annual print and digital subscription to the Lutheran Witness for less than $20. For more information, visit cph.org slash witness or call Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective, the Lutheran Witness Magazine. On the other side, why are Adam and Eve depicted as white? And if so, how do we have black people? You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. Issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. The Gospels report Jesus saying some rather shocking things. For instance, in Luke 14, he tells his disciples, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How can Jesus say such things? What about some of the other more difficult teachings of Scripture? Do you have questions about them? Well, we answer many of these in the October issue of The Lutheran Witness. Pick up your copy today at cph.org witness. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Providing artillery support for the church militant on the front lines, you're listening to Issues Etc. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 
855-2681. It's part 10 of our series, Kids Have Questions. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. The next question, Pastor Connor, if Adam and Eve are depicted as white, how do we have black people? I think that's such a great question. I mean, think about it. For most American kids in their children's storybooks, even the Bible books that are printed, the vast majority of time, the Adam and Eve that they see, they are white, like really whitey white as you can get. And and they're looking around at their world and they're saying, well, our world isn't only made up of white people. Where do all the different skin tones come from? And I think that's such a great question. It reflects such such good thinking on our kids' part. So it requires a thoughtful answer. And so I'll offer the answer I offer to the child first. But I also want parents who are listening or grandparents, you're reading these stories to your kids or they get old enough they can read them themselves, right? I mean, my seven-year-old likes to lie in bed at night and read his different Bible story books. And so he sees these pictures. So from our youngest children, these are middle school kids asking me this question. They're curious. So what do we say to them when they ask us, well, dad, mom, or grandma, grandpa, if Adam and Eve are white, where did people with black skin come from? That's a good question. So what I say to the child is, great question. While Adam and Eve are often depicted as white, it is exceedingly likely that they were more of a middle brown color. As such, they would have the genetic information for light, middle, and dark skin. As people groups became isolated, especially after Babel, these variations would begin to become pronounced so that you would end up with the spectrum of skin colors we see today. So that's my answer to the child ends. It's just very simple because, one, I'm not a geneticist, and I don't have all the knowledge to be able to go into great detail. But I think simple sometimes is probably the best answer for some of this. But I do want to point out that, like I mentioned, I'm not a geneticist, but I do know that the genetic information is there in the human genome to explain the diversity of skin tones that we see today. Right? I think that's so important just, just to understand that. I would highly recommend to listeners resources from the Institute for Creation Research. They have a monthly publication, a free newsletter, but it's not like newsy about things that are happening, but an educational piece called Acts and Facts, A-C-T-S, Acts and Facts. It's just packed with great science that supports the scriptural account. It'll ask these very questions, and it'll give you the, the far more detailed scientific answers. So like if you want to geek out on some of this. Uh, Acts and Facts would be a great place to start. I would also recommend another resource to parents and grandparents. It's called Genesis Apologetics. And you can find they have an app, so you can download the app from any of your app stores. But they're also on YouTube, and they've got dozens of really thoughtful, insightful videos, short videos, which are which are great, very easy to consume in a short amount of time. But they take on some of these sort of questions that this question is, is asking, if Adam and Eve are white, why do we have different colored people? I mean, that sort of thing they will address from a very scientific perspective. So I think those are two good resources if you want to dig in. But I do also think it's important for us to appreciate that our typical presentations of white Adam and Eve, they're probably not historically accurate. Now, if people are interpreting the world through a critical race lens, then here's what they're going to see. They are going to see this as evidence of racism and oppression. And I don't find that helpful at all, because this is this classic, if you give a kid a hammer, he'll imagine everything is a nail scenario. And if you don't believe me, just try it. Give your kid a hammer. Just don't do it in my house, all right? Because I know what's going to happen. 
but here's what I think. I think we're seeing more of an Adam and Eve are connected to us or we are connected to them sort of idea. So it would be perfectly fine to depict Adam and Eve with very dark skin or with other variations that we see in the human race. In fact, I believe this could be very helpful for us as people. And if I had my way, I would love for our publications to represent that more instead of only white, certainly metal brown, and certainly darker skinned. I think we all need to know that we are connected to Adam and Eve and they are connected to us. So yes, it's true. Adam and Eve probably had an actual skin tone. It was probably middle brown. But I do, again, I think it's important that we depict these various skin tones because it can help us feel connected to them. But what we shouldn't do, and I should warn against this, I'm sure it does happen, but we shouldn't do this. We should not teach that Adam and Eve, they were white, okay? And then use that in any way to suggest that the white is superior because no tone is superior. Every skin color is equally important and they equally bear the imprint of the divine image. And the diversity of skin tones, it just reflects the brilliance of our creator. I mean, really, he's brilliant that he would build this sort of adaptability and flexibility into the genetic code. It's fascinating. But very simply, just back to the child's question, you have black and white and brown people because your God is brilliant, because he built in the ability for the genome to vary, to express itself in different colors. And that's a beautiful thing about our God. Another one, does everyone have a guardian angel? Uh, This is a great question. So I have this image from, I suspect this is one of those paintings that got reprinted a million different times when I was a child. I can't remember if it was at my grandparents' house. I think it hangs upstairs in my parents' house now because they inherited it. But it's this image of this sort of rosy-cheeked child on this rickety bridge, and you've got this sort of hovering little guardian angel behind. You know, it's cute if you think that sort of thing is cute. But nonetheless, it kind of has that idea of the guardian angel is the idea. But I think it's a fascinating question. I'll offer as much as scripture says on this, it's not a lot, and then we'll reflect upon it a little bit. So I say, we have a few references to something that sounds like guardian angels in scripture. So we have Acts 12, where Peter was unexpectedly delivered from prison by God and came to where the disciples were, and they thought it was his angel, perhaps his guardian angels. That's in Acts chapter 12, verse 15. Then Jesus says in Matthew 18, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you, that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And then you have Psalm 91 that says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So in some sense, it seems that we do have guardian angels, but there's one thing to point out. It doesn't seem to be suggesting that every person has an individual angel assigned to him or her. It seems that God commands his angels to serve at his command he is watching over us. Okay, now, it's a good place to remember that the Bible is not exhaustive. It's sufficient for salvation. And that's the most important thing. We all have to remember that. That's the most important thing, but it's not exhaustive. So there are some questions it's simply not going to answer. So here's one of those questions where we have to be really careful so we don't make it say more than what it says. So In some sense, it seems we have guardian angels, but that's the key here. We have guardian angels. It's not explicitly clear that each and every believer 
has an individual guardian angel. You have that strange text in the book of Acts, the chapter 12 text there. It's not an explicit teaching on guardian angels, what I should say. So it's simply echoing a belief that was perhaps common at the time. Exactly what? We don't know. I've read on this. There are two or three different theories of what they might be referring to. The short of it is, we don't know. But individual guardian angels, if you just think about it for a few minutes, it raises all sorts of questions about where God is getting all of these angels, right? I mean, would he have to create more of them if the human population grew too quickly? Do they get reassigned to someone else when someone dies? All sorts of questions that we simply have no answers to. But what I want to pick up on is that Matthew 18 text. I, I think that's probably the most helpful. If you notice in the text, the angels are watching the Father. So Jesus says, they are watching the Father. So they're being attentive to the Father. So the Father is the one watching over us. He commands his angels to do his bidding for us. So it doesn't seem to be saying that we've got one assigned to us like our own sort of secret service agent. It seems he's saying that God is watching over us. God governs the angels. They do his bidding. How come we are so attracted to sin? I love this question, I th and I love the way it's asked. How come we're attracted to sin? So let me answer it, then I'm going to expand upon it just a little bit. So I say, great question. This is one of the most frustrating things about being a fallen human. Remember what Paul said in Romans 7? For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So this is our condition. We are born infected with sin. Sometimes I call it being bent toward sin. Why are we this way? Well, the short answer is because we are descended from Adam. We have inherited his sin condition. So we are born attracted to sin. This is why we call out to Jesus for forgiveness and for him to make us new. This is what he works in us as he plants his word in our hearts and makes us new from the inside out. Okay, so that's where my answer ends. Let me expand upon this. So I mentioned this bentness, and obviously I'm picking up on the Latin phrase, in curvatus in se, right? We're bent inward on ourselves. Or maybe to use more of the attracted to sin language, which I think is in some ways a very helpful language. And here's the image I often use with confirmation kids or with individuals I'm taking through adult confirmation. I like to compare us to dogs, and here's why. Let me tell you a story first, and then I'll make my point. So years ago, my first call was up in Northwest Iowa, a little town called Sanborn, Iowa a delightful town, delightful people. It was about 14 hours from my parents' house who live in Southern Indiana. So that time we only had a couple kids and the dog. And so we take off on our 14 hour trek to get to my parents' house. We got the two kids at the time and the dog going along. And after 14 hours, you can imagine the layers of fruit snacks and Cheerios on the floor of the van, the dog probably full of eating them. So she's not eating them anymore. We get to my parents' house finally after 14 hours. We open the door and the dog just shoots off into the woods. So my parents live on uh, seven acres of wooded ground. So she shoots off into the woods. Fine. Let her go. She'll run it off and, you know, come back and we'll take her inside and, you know, enjoy time with my parents. She's gone for a few minutes. I haven't even made it in the house yet because I'm trying to get my kids out and the luggage out and so forth. And she's shooting back across the yard. And she's the happiest dog you've ever seen. But halfway across the yard, I can already smell her because somewhere out there, she found raw sewage. Don't know how or where she found it. She did what dogs do. 
she rolls in it because why? Because she's pretty sure like this is the most amazing perfume ever. Like this is, you know, Dior Jador. And she's rolled in it and she's so excited to share this, this fresh perfume she's found with me. And it is freaks, right? And I have to give my dog a bath before I can even go to my parents' house. I'm not a happy camper. 14 hours with two little kids and now a stinky dog. Okay, here's my point though. Just like stinky things smell good to dogs and then they roll in it. That's our sinful condition. Sin smells good to us. And do you know what we do when we find things that smell good to us? Just like dogs, we roll in it. And we roll in it and we roll in it. And then one day you wake up and you go, man, something around here stinks. And then you realize it's you. So what do we need? We need to have our noses fixed, all right? And actually, this is what God works in us as he remakes our desires. Right? And this is begun in time. It's perfected in eternity. And this is why it's so important to hear the word, because the word remakes us from the inside out. And it slowly and steadily starts to reveal to us just how stinky sin is. And we're starting to realize you know, I probably ought to stop rolling in that because it's not making my life smell great. And it's it's slowly reformatting or reforming our senses to, to, to delight in what God delights in and to take pleasure what he takes pleasure in and to find repugnant what he finds repugnant. But that takes that discipline of hearing that word and being made new day in and day out until we finally reach the resurrection of the dead when we're raised, if you will, with perfect noses, where we won't be tempted to sin. Why? Because our sense of smell, our righteousness, will be so perfect that sin won't even appeal to us because it'll finally smell like the raw sewage that it is. We won't desire it. So I think that's a good question from the, the child, but it also gives us the opportunity to bring the gospel to bear on what Christ is going to do for us. And there's so much joy in that. I mean, to wake up tomorrow, and I'll, I'll end with this. For listeners, you know what it's like to be defeated by sin over and over again. And a lot of us, it's the same stinking one. And we've fallen into it so many times and we've rolled in it so many times and we're so tired of our life just stinking. But if you can imagine waking up tomorrow for the first time, totally free from the temptation to sin, that's the promise of the resurrection. That's what Paul's talking about right in 1 Corinthians. He talks about the spiritual body, the spirit-empowered body, the spirit-animated body, that we are going to be raised and free from sin forever and for the first time free even from the temptation to sin. So I think this gives us such an opportunity to share the gospel promise and the gospel hope we have in Jesus. Pastor Jonathan Connor is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Jonathan, thank you very much for your time. Todd, it's always a pleasure. Thursday on Issues Etc. We'll continue our series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament, talking with Dr. Reed Lessing about the minor prophets, and we'll get some evangelism resources from Dr. Ken Sherb. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. 
You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra and choir. For more information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website withangelsandarchangels.org. Jesus the Good Shepherd says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. We invite you to join us as we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him who gives us eternal life. Sunday worship services at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class at 1030, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. That's goodshepherdarnold.org.